Howdy folks, this is Brian from Craft Hot Sauce. Hope you are all doing really well today. I just got off the line with Jojo from Jojo's Sriracha and it was a great conversation. Really enjoyed speaking with her for the first time. I had seen a few of her videos in the past and was just kind of really interested in her operation, her vision and mission behind her hot sauce and her company. Uh, but I don't want to spoil too much of that conversation. We dig into a lot of things. But without further ado, I have Jojo from Jojo Sriracha. Enjoy. Jojo, I'll let you introduce yourself. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your operation and how things have been going. Sure. Um, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So Jojo Sriracha got started about six years ago when I was originally living in Denver and I signed up for a yoga teacher training and the month before took refined sugar out of my diet for a month as a cleanse. It was the first time I had done anything like that. And I was a total sriracha fiend. I put squeeze bottle sriracha on everything that I ate. And I turned the bottle over and read the ingredients. And lo and behold, sugar was the second ingredient, actually followed by salt and then preservatives. So I knew right away that our relationship was over. <laughs> and I was very sad. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I just, just, go ahead. Yeah, I actually just gave, so I'm like, and during Lent right now, I'm actually giving up refined sugar. And it's Ooh. it's like really, I remember the first week it was so hard to do, but I I just have such a different kind of, uh, I, I just feel a lot different and, and kind of sharper and everything. Why did you kind of think about giving that up in the first place? Or You know, I was 26 and I had graduated from grad school. I was teaching at community colleges. My background's in communication. I was teaching public speaking. And it was just that time in my life where I was growing up and getting more serious about my career and what I wanted to do in my life. And so you start, you know, reflecting on your lifestyle and your habits. And I realized, like, I'm not getting any younger and I could take better care of myself. And so that was the first time that I had really ever been curious about what I was eating. So mm. even the practice of turning a condiment around and looking at the ingredients was new. And I'm sure you're having the same experience now. Take trying to take refined sugar out of your diet, you realize that sugar is in everything. Yeah. And then the more research you do, the more you realize like how many places it hides. So that was, I mean, it was absolutely transformative. It wasn't just like a little experiment. It it changed the way I lived, changed the way I ate. And then since I started making my own sriracha, it created a, a business for me. So it, that was everything. That was a huge, huge turning point in my life. Cool. And, and so when you started making that sriracha, did you think all of a sudden, like, I have a business idea, I'm going to go for it and run? Or what was that process like? No, it actually, it took a long time for that to kind of find its way into what what, what it is now. At first, um, I was just making sriracha and sharing it with friends. And, well, no, let me back up a minute. I was making sriracha. I had no idea what I was doing. I was blowing <laughs> up my kitchen with chili peppers. And I had never made hot sauce before. I had never fermented anything before. 
and I was like, there were blenders of chilies that exploded in my kitchen more than once. Um, so first I had no idea what I was doing, but then I'm a total nerd. So I took really good notes about all my experiments. And after a while started making something that tasted good. And then I started sharing it with my friends and a lot of people in my yoga community who are also changing their diets. And they're like, wow, this is really good. It doesn't have all these crappy ingredients in it. Oh, you know, you should sell it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, I was actually moving to back to New York after my yoga teacher training to be a teacher. So my trajectory was not to start my own business. It was to go back to New York and, you know, hopefully become a full-time professor at some point. Um, So when I moved back to New York, then I, I have this new interest in food and what I'm eating. I started volunteering at Queens County Farm in Queens and I had this notion before I moved, I was like, I want to move to New York and work on a farm. Okay. And everyone was like, how is that going to happen? <laughs> and then I found Queens County Farm, which is this amazing organic farm run by the coolest group of women. And they just kind of swept me up and figured, when they figured out that I was making this small batch of sriracha, they're like, oh, awesome. We grow chili peppers, use our chili wow, peppers. okay. And then they connected me to the Union Square Farmer's Market, which if you've never been in New York City, is the biggest, most amazing farmer's market ever. (laughs) And there were a handful of farms there that even though the Northeast is not a very great place to grow chili peppers in their small season, there were a handful of farms that were really doing some beautiful, uh, really growing some beautiful chili peppers. So they connected me with them. I start making these different batches with these different varieties of peppers and and now like I'm creating these flavors that were just amazing. It was like I would put 8, 10, 13 different kinds of peppers in a batch and I would just get back all kinds of flavors and so I was like this is there's something here. It's not just this yeah. sort of like generic red like sriracha sauce. It was really I I just felt like there was all kinds of flavor to be tapped and that that was really intriguing to me so at some point I I decided to really get serious and test the market so I took about a year of running experiments talking to like chefs foodies owners of specialty food stores and then just you know friends and my my network to see if this was something that the market wanted and it was I mean it was a clear yes from the beginning people were ready to have a high quality fermented hot sauce that has complexity but also integrity in ingredients so at some point um i just decided to to make it a go i mean i've always in my mind i've always wanted to have my own business i can remember being like 12 and living in southern california i was like i want to open up a smoothie shop because i was obsessed with making smoothies Uh and it just that had always resonated. I just never found something that I was interested in enough, or that something that had captivated enough of my attention. And JoJo's was just like a clear landing spot for the business to bloom from there. When do you think that like that light bulb went off and that became clear? Do you think that was when you were like 
doing all these batches by yourselves. I mean, I've had a few disasters where I'm kind of blowing stuff up in the kitchen and I touch my eye by mistake and then all of a sudden my face Uh, is on fire and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? But uh, like, when did you think it's like, I have to do this? I, it's interesting. It, It felt, I don't know. I don't really remember a very like distinctively clear moment, but when I, when I look back on that, journey, I remember that I had been looking for that for a while. So when I was living in Denver, doing this yoga training, changing my diet, there's like a lot of transformation that was going on in my life. And part of that was me searching for basically what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I started doing some blogging. And then at some point, I realized all I was blogging about was sriracha and food and doing things that you love. And so looking back, it was pretty clear that that's the direction I was going in. And I think really the jumping point was more, more of a business decision in that when you make a shelf stable, acidified food like Sriracha, there's all kinds of legal repercussions that come with that. So you have to be licensed, you have to work in a commercial kitchen, you have to be inspected by your health department. And so it's not like making jewelry. You can't just mm-hmm. do it in your basement and kind of see what happens. You have to be mostly all in from the beginning because that takes a lot of like training, knowledge, capital. And so you have to make a decision like I'm, if I'm going to make this food product that I'm going to sell, you got you to gotta be in yeah. all the way. Well, a lot of our listeners, I think they're at that place where they're kind of a hobbyist hot sauce maker. They, they aren't selling it right there. But... I mean, what was that process like from, I mean, you kind of just touched on it a little bit, but I mean, did you, a lot of people I was speaking to are kind of looking at co-packers when they kind of have a recipe that they really like, but um, I mean, what did that, did you ever do co-packers or were you always doing it yourself, the, the whole process? So originally I did my test batches with a tiny little co-packer called Best Farm Kitchen in Hudson, New York. So I used to take my granny cart from Park Slope to Union Square Farmer's Market, pick up a couple hundred pounds of chili peppers, take them back to Brooklyn, and then put them in the trunk of the car, drive three hours up north to Hudson, and we'd grind up these peppers, make some test batches while the gals in the kitchen were figuring out, you know, what is this process like? How can we make this here? How many jars, et cetera, et cetera. And we did that for a handful of weekends, and it actually became clear that the the actual process of making sriracha put constraints on them, and they're like a really, really tiny uh, kitchen facility, and I use like air quotes around that. They were mostly making jams and didn't have any big equipment, and I needed an industrial Vitamix in order to blend the fermenting mash of the sriracha because mm-hmm. the whole pepper is in there, parts of the stems, the seeds, the skins. And so they didn't have that kind of equipment. Neither of us could really invest in it. And so I was like, okay, back to the drawing board. And then I actually did a crowdfunder to raise money to get the industrial Vitamix because it's about $2,000 blender. And that allowed me then to find my own space to make it. So the first three batches that I made were actually jarred in the back of a deli in Queens. And then the remaining batches from there, I found a little shared kitchen in uh, Bed-Stuy. 
and worked and worked from there. That's, that's, I mean, it's really cool hearing the stories. I mean, it seems like, I mean, there's obviously a lot of dedication going all the way to Hudson with your uh, hundred pounds of uh, chilies, but uh, it's cool. It's kind yeah, of when see- I look back on that, I'm like, that's, I don't, I don't know if that was smart or crazy, but <laughs> it, was just, it was just part of the process. And I had some really great mentorship. One of my good friends is Seamus Jones, who owns Brooklyn Brine, and they are one of the pickle kings, so to speak, in Brooklyn. And uh, he really just kind of opened up a lot of um, information to me, was really transparent in his business and showed me how he was able to grow. So we talked a lot about co-packing versus manufacturing your own products, which is what they do. And not only was I totally inspired by that, but I saw along the way, knowing a lot of other small food entrepreneurs in New York City and Brooklyn, that one of the first moves that they made was to give their process to a co-packer. And there were a lot of pretty, what I think were serious implications in that. Like your co-packer might say, oh, well, we have this this cheaper ingredient that we can use, mm-hmm. or let's use dried garlic instead of fresh. And you know, when you're really looking at your just your bottom line, you're like, oh, wow, I can save a ton of money. And co-packing is really expensive. So if you can cut on the ingredients, you're like, okay, maybe I can make this happen. But you're really, I feel like you're in pretty high danger of giving away a lot of the the quality and integrity of what it is that you're making. And I also think that it it depends. I've, I've seen some people execute that really successfully. I just think that that's really rare. And I think you really have to like sit down and ask yourself what your goals are in terms of growth how you define success, what kind of product is it that you're making, what are your values, what is it that you're ultimately trying to do, and then work backwards from there. So now for us, co-packing is just a no. We yeah. need to hang on to a process. It's where we get to be creative and come up with really new, interesting products that people haven't seen. If someone else was doing that hard work for me, it it would be it'd be hard to stay that connected and that passionate to what we're doing. Yeah. So I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that like you have like eight, nine, ten, uh, in one of the batches have like that many peppers in one of the sauces. Could you kind of give us maybe an overview of maybe what your sauces are like or sriracha sauces are like on a whole, and then maybe kind of some of the more popular ones. Yeah. So since there's like a hundreds of thousands of varieties of chili peppers one that's really exciting because it means you'll like never run out of flavors to play with (laughs) yeah and so that's super fun but also there's a lot of strategy that goes around choosing what peppers go into your batches so for example we know that we want to be able to offer a handful of sauces to our our retailers around the country year round. And so, for example, when I was creating the green chili sriracha as, you know, it's something that was really in honor of Colorado and green chilies and something that people love here, Mm -hmm. I really had to think about, well, what blend of green chilies could I use that I'll be able to source year round so that we can offer them all the time, but also know that in season there's going to be a lot more varieties available to us here that I can use as well. So one of our base blends for that is jalapeno, Anaheim, and poblanos. And we can get those from a lot of different places at different points in the year. So that gives us a nice base to work off of. But then in pepper season, we'll have 
Pueblo chilies from Cal- uh, from Colorado. We'll have Hatch chilies from New Mexico and all kinds of fun varieties available to us locally that we can also use in those particular months. So part of the the flavor is figuring out, is this just going to be a special one-off batch? Yeah. So we do those too, and we love them. We'll get, it, you know, it, it'll be pepper season, and we'll get work from uh, a local farmer that they have a bunch of XYZ, and we'll be able to use those, and we'll throw those in the batch, not necessarily knowing what it's going to look like or taste like, but just we'll give that a shot. But that might be, you know, a handful of cases of, uh, of jars, but if we want something that's going to really be a part of our regular line, then we really need to think about, well, what kind of peppers are they? What's the pro- profile? What kind of heat do we want? Because although part of our business model is to honor that food's food and every batch is going to be a little different, the color might change, the the spiciness might go up, it might go a little down, that there's also a craft in creating something rel- relatively consistent within that variation. So that's an interesting challenge too. So like, let's say you're in pepper season and you're, you're making a few of these unique batches. I mean, who normally consumes it? I mean, do you guys like sell at farmer's markets or, I mean, it seems like you guys have like an online store as well. I mean, where does most of the hot sauce go? So a lot of the, the kind of like one-offs or specialty blends, what we'll do is we'll put those online and for the first 24 hours, we'll release that just to our email newsletter list. Okay. And so they'll get an opportunity to purchase those. And then after that 24-hour period, we'll post them online for the general public. So typically online is where you're going to see the specialty blends or our super hots or the kind of strange, interesting things that come up when we're in pepper season and we have all these new and fun and different varieties of chili peppers. And then our, like our OG, our red blend, the one that started it all, that and the green, those we offer to our retailers. So we're in probably 60 or 70 retailers, Colorado and New York mostly, and then a handful for other states. Gotcha. And and people hate me when I ask this question, but do you have a favorite? (laughs) I would say it's like asking someone like who their favorite child is. Yeah, it's an unfair question, so but it like, has to be asked. I have to like I have to like cover the ears of our OG and say that like I'm really into our green, and maybe it's because okay. it's like the new baby, but also it, it really de- it really depends on what I'm eating. Mm, um, yeah. I think that our different batches really shine in different ways when they're paired with the foods that they belong with. So like the green is really amazing with pork and poultry. We just had it yesterday, just mixed in sour cream with like little crispy potato chips, and that was mm. amazing. And then the red, if I'm having leftover Thai food or if I'm doing like a pho or miso soup or something that's more Asian-inspired, I'm absolutely going to put that in there. And then sometimes I'm not feeling well and I want something hot and spicy just because I feel like there's something almost medicinal about it, and I'll yeah. throw that in some soup. So it really just depends. It's kind of like, a, see, I'm the same way. It's kind of a blessing and a curse when you just open your eyes to, like, artisanal hot sauce, a small batch hot sauce. Just, like, you think of all of these combinations in these foods, and it just, like, your brain is going crazy with just the combinations and thinking uh-huh. about everything. But, uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, so I was looking at your website. I see some shamrocks on some of the bottles, and which is awesome. Uh, I'm 
half Irish, so I have a, a good Irish background there. But um, maybe uh, it seems like you guys are having a fundraiser behind those bottles. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So this month is really special for a number of reasons. March has always been a pretty uh, auspicious month. So my mom passed away when I was 15 from Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS. And uh, this has really been the, the first time since then that I've really been able to start sharing that story with other people. And she died on March 20th, 17 years ago, three days before her 40th birthday. So March, there's always a lot of meaning in that month for me. I actually poured my first, first three batches of JoJo's on her birthday four years ago, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. So March is special, and March is also when there's St. Patty's Day. My mom was this beautiful, red-headed Irish sprite who happened to have a shamrock tattooed on her left butt cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so those, those jars we stamped in honor of her and we're giving a dollar from each of those jars to the Rocky Mountain ALS Association. And we've also got a button on our website where you can donate directly to the association as well. We're doing two local fundraisers in Denver. And this is our first year doing this. We hope that every March is uh, um, the month where we're um, raising money and awareness for ALS. Um, so it's our first time doing it, but we're really excited about it. That's that's uh, great, Jojo. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Uh, I mean, I, I originally kind of heard about your sriracha with one of uh, a video that I saw online, and it, I think it was on uh, Cooking Channel. But uh, immediately, I kind of had a sense of your your dedication to making really good quality sauce, and also having kind of a good mission and vision just for healthy living, uh, kind of sharing good thoughts and, and really a sense of community. I mean, it's kind of a, kind of a high level question, but I mean, what would you say is kind of like your mission and, and what does, uh, kind of JoJo's and your company love hard? What does it really stand for? So our mission statement is actually love hard, give a fuck. And <laughs> most people are like, wow. And then they're like, okay, great. I'll take a sticker. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting is being that this is the month where I'm, I'm talking about ALS. I'm talking about the story of my mom. It's also the first time where I'm, I'm, I think where I'm starting to show people where that mission comes from. And when you lose your mom, when you're 15, it's a, pretty big smack in the face about what's important in life and you realize that your life is precious, your health is precious, and you should really be doing something good with it, something that makes you happy, something that makes people around you happy as well. And that's really what drives whatever I'm doing. People obviously see this manifestation in, in JoJo's. It's just this opportunity I have to dig into something and see what I can create and just recently, my partner and I started, we, we took out a whiteboard and we're just putting down things that we value, just taking a look at like, who are we? What is Love Heart Incorporated? Mm -hmm. And there were things like, you know, we're, we value our health and we value our community and we love collaborations. And so these are all things that are important to us 
as people, and so that's going to manifest in our business because that's, as we say, the whole fucking point. <laughs> that's very well put there. I like it. Uh, well, I, I think one thing that I've encountered speaking with a lot of uh, kind of hot sauce owners is that their uh, that their customers and the followers really kind of shape who they are and their vision. I mean, mm-hmm. do you kind of have any? maybe stories or, or any ways that you kind of describe your, your following and maybe how dedicated or how they've helped you along the way? So this is only the second podcast that I've done. And the, the first one that I did was actually with a woman who had been following JoJo's really since day one. So originally I sold JoJo's on Etsy. It was just a great online portal where I could have my own store and sell what I was making. And I would put up these tiny batches and they would sell out like within a half hour or an hour. And so she was talking about her experience being one of my customers and how special these were. And then she's been following me on Facebook and reading my blogs and seeing the business change. And it was really cool to hear that perspective. And I mean, it is so clear that those people are, they're your lifeline. They're the ones who are, buying your products and allowing you to have a business and pay your bills and do something with your life that you love without them. You can't, you can't do that. And when I still do all my own fulfillment, I'm looking at these online orders and I see the same names and I'll, I'll write my customers notes like, you know, thanks so much. Or like, wow, you must've gone through that other case pretty quickly. I hope you like the new green. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a cool thing, and I, I think it's so important to stay close to that because these are the people that are showing up and giving you uh, the means to do this thing that you love. So for me, sharing that gratitude and letting people know how meaningful that is is really important. So I try to respond personally to those emails that come through the website. If someone has a problem with something, I try and make it right as quickly and as swiftly as possible. Um, so those kinds of things are an integral part of the business because without them, there is no business. Definitely. No, I, I, I totally agree with that because I, I think that's what really defines what a company is, is that kind of experience and the story behind it, but also hearing the stories of how you've kind of affected people is, is really cool along the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing like, so my, I, I've been kind of making my own hot sauce for like a year or so, and I've had some crazy situations and funny stories and everything, but I mean, kind of over the whole course of maybe you starting kind of day one, have you had any kind of like funny stories that exceptionally kind of uh, stick out or also, or maybe kind of like, fuck my life, like how, what the hell am I doing this uh, kind <laughs> That's of situations? That's a hard question, wow. Um, most epic stories or funny things that have happened? We, we can come back to partner, it. Like what, what, um, there's definitely been plenty of like, fuck my life, like oh my God. Like, <laughs> just trying to figure out how to ship things there's all these like nuances of the business that are epically epic yeah. <laughs> where you're just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to solve this problem. And I, I heard this phrase that being in business is solving problems. So if you're solving problems, like, you know, you're on the right track, but man, sometimes you're like, what's going to happen? Like we just figured out that our beautiful, sexy square jars that we've been in love with for now like five years are 
no longer being manufactured. Oh, and wow. there's really nothing we can do about it. Normally, we try and move mountains to make things happen, and we're usually pretty successful. So things like that happen, you're just like, wow, what does this mean? And you really have to, um, what one of my friends said in my, my business class, fail quick and pivot. Yeah. So whatever happens, you can't, you can't hang on to those moments too tightly, whether they're, you know, the highs or the lows. I mean, being able to work with Ravenswood Winery in Sonoma, that, that was an amazing opportunity, an amazing experience. It doesn't last forever. It's great. And that even has all of the lows that go along with trying to create a new product and all the troubleshooting you have to do and the things that come up around it. Um, so I think you just got to have to keep on keeping on. <laughs> That's it. Well, what was that partnership like? Wait. So we had a collaboration with Ravenswood Winery in Sonoma, California. We did a wine-infused sriracha, but mm-hmm. what was no, most notable was I got an email from them asking if we wanted to do a collaboration, and I'm like, I got that email in my grandma's basement in Long Island when I had this little tiny business that isn't even making any money, and here's like big Ravenswood. Like, they have the most tattooed wine logo in the world. These guys are the real real deal. And they're like, they're, they're looking at me wanting to, so, you know, they saw something special in, in Jojo's. And so that, that's like where you go like, Oh wow. Like this is, this is really cool. This is, this is awesome. That's great. Well, I mean, I have a few, not kind of rapid fire, but some quick questions. I mean, do you have any advice for hot sauce makers? Like as they're, like, let's say they, they're making their home batches. A lot of times I hear they're like, everybody's like, oh, you have to sell this. You have to sell this. And when they're thinking about making that next step into actually making a business or actually really kind of doubling down and starting to sell it. I mean, do you have any advice for people in that sort of phase where, where you were? Yeah. I, I would say it's twofold. One is to seek out some good mentorship if you don't have it already or find mentorship in a related food industry because if you find someone who's able to really share some good information with you, it's going to be pretty clear, one, whether that's something that you really want to do, but then two, what it really takes to do it. I think that especially with food, there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be successful in that industry. Like one of the things we hear from people, they're like, oh, are you in Whole Foods? And they have this perception that if you have your product on the shelves of Whole Foods, you somehow, quote, made it. Mm-hmm. Whereas we talk to lots of companies that are similar to ours who have both have amazing success story being in Whole Foods and also that that company has very much put other companies out of business. And so you really have to understand the logistics and figure out if you, if that is what you want to do, you know, which direction you're pointing your ship in. And along those same lines, I found that a lot of entrepreneurs, like myself, we don't have a business in background, or uh, sorry, we don't have a background in business. We don't come from um, a background in finance and all these things that are a really important part of your actual business. And so you've got to be willing to to learn those pieces as well. When I was living in New York, I took a business workshop that was a 16-week workshop called Weibo, W-I-B-O, Workshop in Business Opportunities. 
and we basically built a business plan from scratch. And what it did was it took all of those components and broke them down and you worked on them one by one. And there's a whole process that comes along with that and you really get to see, one, what it takes to have a successful business, but you know, two, is this really what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Having your own business or being a startup, creating a new product and trying to bring it to market is quite a feat. And so I think I'm a real deliberate research person. I don't, I'm not impulsive. I don't jump into decisions like that lightly. So it took a, a lot of going through that process before making any major decisions of whether or not I was going to move forward and do it. Yeah, no, that's that's great advice to really kind of think it out and plan it out. Um, yeah, so... although there's nothing wrong with being bald to the walls. Either. <laughs> I mean, my, my buddy Seamus was just a go-getter. He got fired and then he was working in restaurants and started the next day in the basement doing overnights making pickles and he's made an incredibly successful business. But he's also really smart and knows exactly what he's doing. So it's all got to be balanced. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Okay, so you can answer this hot sauce related or unrelated, but when you hear the word success, who comes to mind immediately? Oh, another great question. Um, hmm. You know, I think what's interesting is that I'm all often asking myself, like, what is what does it mean to be successful? So I think that for me, that's always been an internal question. I don't really, whether I look at someone and think they're successful or not, I know that ultimately that's got to be success defined by them, mm-hmm. which might be different than me. I mean, I definitely know people who are financially successful or I know people who might have one one part of their story together, but it, I don't think we often know whether people are walking around feeling successful or not. The the most financially successful business people I know, I also know their personal stories and things that are going on in, in their lives where they're not feeling successful. So I think that that's actually like a really complicated um, question, but I think ultimately as entrepreneurs, you have to define success for yourself and figure out how you want to get you know from point A to point B. Yeah, definitely. That's um, that's great. I mean, obviously, like when you become an entrepreneur, you learn so much so fast, and I can just like from hearing your story, it just seems like there's been so many changes and things are all constantly uh, kind of ebbing and flowing. But I mean, if you could give yourself some advice five years ago, um, what advice would you give yourself? Hmm. Another good question, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Five years ago, I probably would have told myself to go to therapy because it was only like two years ago that I went. (laughs) So I would have, I would have told myself to to go earlier. Um, That was really a pretty, pretty major. It was like the most major thing I've done in my adult life. And it really clarified a lot of things for me both personally and in business, and of course, those are always mixed, but that's a you know, process of introspection and really looking inside and figuring out who I am and what I want and who I'm trying to be. Mm-hmm. And once I got a grip on that, a lot of the other pieces started follow, falling into place. 
So I think if I if I could have done that earlier, that would have been nice. Uh, I mean, do you have any like requests of my followers? I mean, for me, the the chili head that I sort of slowly come to know because I I was never a chili head. I definitely have increased my love for hot things, but this is a crew that's like totally out of my league. But they have been some of the most inspiring people to get to know, and in in that sort of conversation, mostly that we're having like online or through Facebook about the batches that were doing it's like that that drive that they have for something that's like hotter or different um there's like this constant sort of like push for what's what's new and interesting and i totally vibed off of that i create these super hot batches just for those people i mean Mm -hmm. i can barely have like a smidge of those batches just because they're so hot but i absolutely i love making them i love putting our respirator on and our safety goggles and getting all suited up so that we can make these batches. But I think they're, they're really fantastic. So I think that, like, continued um, interest in what's what's creative and what's different is, like, just keep doing that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, thanks. I mean, so obviously you're in Denver right now. I mean, do you have any mm-hmm. uh, kind of, whether it be farmer's markets or festivals or any farms that you think – people in Denver should really check out if they're not already? You know, we, we really have never done farmer's markets. We had the good fortune to get great press when we started JoJo's, and that was just because I had, you know, happened to meet people and share my story, and they thought it was cool enough to write about. And I think that that's kind of the same thing a lot of smaller companies are trying to do in these farmer mar- farmer's markets is connect with other people and share their story. And so we do that a lot through press, social media, podcasts like this. We're trying to do more video related kinds of things. Um, And last season in Denver, we were able to get an experimental crop of jalapenos from a local farm in Windsor called the generous farmer. And it, it really was from, you know, that moment having, only had our kitchen open for a few months where it really reiterated to us something that's important is that we want to be connected to wherever we are. And so now that we've got a kitchen, now that the business in a lot of ways has a good grounding, we're just now starting the the process of figuring out, you know, who are our local farms here? Mm -hmm. Who are the people that are the movers and the shakers of the, you know, the green chilies or the, you know, experimental crops and, there's also been a huge push in Colorado for the the green Pueblo chili to be the new Hatch chili. And so there's some interesting things going around, particularly around green chilies. So we're kind of like just jumping on that wagon now. Nice. Okay. And cool. Just, uh, just one last question to, to finish up. Uh, well, I mean, where do you guys see yourself going in, in the next year? So a couple of places where we're really looking to grow is one to build up our online store and keep a really robust space where we've got new and interesting batches where we're also sharing the story of how we're growing, which is something that seems to be um, connecting with a lot of people. So trying to put out great content, show what we're doing here. And we've also found that we're 
um, were a really great gift. And a lot of people like buying JoJo's because they love the story and they're trying to share that with someone that's special to them. And so we're trying to get better at being a good gift and being in other online outlets that are selling gifts as well or in these beautiful uh, gift boutiques or small curated shops that have people that know how to hand sell and can, you know, tell the story about our product and why it's so special. And so we've really started looking for those places that we're a great fit for because that's going to be a good avenue for us to, to grow in. Great. And, and where can people find you online and on social media? Our website is lovehardinc.com, L-O-V-E-H-A-R-D-I-N-C.com. And all of our links to social media are on the website as well. And if you sign up for our e- email newsletter, you'll get the special 24-hour access to all of our awesome batches. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to put that in the blog post in the show notes. But uh, Jojo, I can't thank you enough for your time. You're doing awesome things. And thank you so much for, for sharing this with all our followers. Thanks so much, Brian. It's been awesome doing this as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, one last request, if that's all right, if you can hang on for 15 more seconds. Uh, if you like that, please review on iTunes and uh, give us some feedback. We're always looking to get a little bit better, but uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. And stay tuned and make sure you subscribe so you listen to our next podcast. Thank you.